The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. All right. Thank you guys for reading a lot of uh, tough names and um, a long passage. So if you need just 30 seconds to stand up and shake your arms a little bit or stretch, feel free to do that while I just greet you. Um, so good morning, church. My name is Chad Cavanaugh, and I am one of the covenant partners here at GCC. And it, it really is a joy and privilege to uh, be able to open up God's word with you guys this morning. Um, before we do that, I want to take just a brief moment to welcome all of our visitors. I uh, was able to meet a handful of you all uh, before the service today. So just want to let you know, um, we're so thankful that you came to join us and worship with us. Um, and we really counted it a blessing to be able to uh, meet you. It's our desire to be able to walk alongside you in your faith, no matter where you're at, um, whether seeking or um, a believer already. Um, we actually set aside different members or covenant partners of our family every week, faith family every week, to take you all out to lunch to get to know you better. I think the Abners are um, doing that today. So if you have any interest in uh, what we believe, who we are, how to get connected, please be sure to stick around after uh, the service today. Before we dive into the, to today's passage, um, let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Father in heaven, we pause to acknowledge our need for you. We need you to awaken our often hard and cold hearts. We need you to open and captivate our blind eyes. And we need you to speak to us and help us understand your word. We really believe they're the words of life. We trust that your word will not return void. I ask that Genesis 46 through 48 accomplish in us, Gospel City Church, that which you intend it to do. May this passage cause us to joyfully reflect upon the blessing we have been given in Christ and compel us to walk obediently as agents of blessing to others in the world around us. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I want to begin this morning by telling you about two people that are extremely important to my wife, Abby, and I. Their names are Dorothy and Dick Butler, or as we like to call them, Grams and Papa. Now, if you can't tell by their names, Grams and Papa are Abby's grandparents who live in the state of Mississippi in the United States. Grams grew up in a Christian home, and she attended church anytime the doors were open. The Lord used Graham's mother in a particular way to help proclaim and display the gospel to her from an early age. Graham's cannot remember a day that she did not treasure Jesus as her Savior. Even as a child, Graham's understood that God's blessings towards her were meant to be stewarded to bless others. She told me a story just the other day of packing boxes of clothes as a child to send to other children in India. As Grams grew into her early adulthood, her understanding of Jesus as Lord became clearer. It is God's love towards her in Christ that causes Grams to care for others. Papa, on the other hand, did not grow up in a Christian home. In fact, his dad was an alcoholic and his family rarely attended church. But Papa began, began walking with the Lord as a young adult and describes his faith as a steady progression of understanding God's goodness towards him. And in talking with him, he describes it's God's goodness that wants him to, that makes him want to serve others. 
Grams and Papa met in medical school and married just after graduation. Despite their growing family and busy careers, they decided to, they wanted to devote significant time, energy, and resources towards those who did not know Christ. In one instance, they had friends who were going through a really traumatic divorce. The husband decided that he wanted to become a woman and began acting out in increasingly harmful ways. The couple attended counseling, but the wife knew that the two needed to separate for a time being while they were restoring their marriage. However, there was no way that the couple could afford two separate houses at the same time. Despite the husband's offensive and destructive behavior, Grams and Papa did not ostracize or turn their back on him. They invited him into their home and allowed him to live with them for several months while the couple sought help. They were hospitable to him and sought to prayerfully love the man into repentance and faith. God has used Grams and Papa to bless the foreigner. They were not only concerned with reaching the lost, they also prioritized the faith of their family and their community. Grams and Papa obediently followed God, God's call to plant a church in their community nearly 30 years ago. Papa served as an elder and has been a consistent voice in the church for the cause of international missions. Grams has invested countless hours in prayer groups, Bible studies, and local mission initiatives. They've consistently brought their children and grandchildren with them to worship services, prayer groups, and local mission outreaches. Many members of Abby's family would tell you that some of the most meaningful moments and the formation of their faith have happened at Grams and Papa's kitchen table on Sunday afternoons after church. God has used Grams and Papa to bless their family. As pediatricians, the Lord blessed them with significant financial resources. Many couples in their position would pursue the American dream of vacation homes, luxury cars, and unlimited relaxation. They see it as maybe a reward of their careers but not them. In fact, I've stayed with them for several months and have seen them refuse to throw away leftovers, refuse to go to a professional barber for a haircut, and refuse to buy proper trash bags just so they can free up more resources for the kingdom of God. In fact, we've been recipients of God's blessing through them in our own lives just recently. Grams and Papa have generously and unexpectedly offered to pay for a large portion of our daughter Eliana's adoption expenses. And it's in their stewardship and generosity that we have experienced the blessing of God. God has used Grams and Papa to bless the future. And this is what Genesis 46 to 48 is all about. God using his people as agents of his blessing in the world to the foreigner, to the family, and to future generations. Last week, we learned of a famine in the land of Canaan. In order to provide for the needs of the family, Jacob sent 10 of his sons down into Egypt to buy grain. Little did Jacob's sons know, but their brother Joseph was now the governor over the land, the one responsible for selling them grain. When Joseph's brothers came to him, he immediately recognized them, but they did not recognize him. How could they have? They did not think he was alive, much less an official in Pharaoh's government. Joseph took the opportunity to test his brothers on a few different occasions. 
First, he accused them of being spies who have come down to survey the land. Joseph holds one of the brothers hostage and demands that the others return to Canaan and bring down their youngest brother as proof of their innocence. So the brothers return to Canaan and tell their, brothers, tell their father all that had happened. With little other choice, their father Jacob reluctantly agrees to send Benjamin, the youngest son, with them a second time to Egypt to buy food for their family. Judah eases his father's worry by offering himself as a pledge to Benjamin's safety. If Benjamin does not return to his father, Judah would willingly give his own life. The brothers arrive in Egypt and present their youngest brother to Joseph. After meeting Benjamin, Joseph invites the brothers into Pharaoh's palace and generously treats them to an extravagant meal. However, Joseph's emotions can no longer be contained, so he tells his brother who he is. Understandably, the brothers are in disbelief. After reconciling with them, Joseph commands his brothers to return to Canaan to invite their father and the rest of the family to come live by, live nearby in the land of Egypt. Today, in the passage we just read, we see Jacob's response to Joseph's invitation. If I had to summarize today's passage in a few sentence, sentences, I would do it this way. Jacob, emboldened by God's blessing towards him, obediently relocates his family to the land of Egypt, a land historically forbidden and dangerous to his forefathers. And it is in Jacob's obedience that we see God use Jacob as an agent of blessing to Pharaoh, to Israel, and to Joseph's sons. Now there's a lot going on in these chapters, so to help us better grasp the big picture of the story, I want us to consider it in three sections. The first, God's blessing to Jacob. God's blessing to Jacob. Second, Joseph, Jacob's obedience to God. Jacob's obedience to God. And third, God's blessing through Jacob. God's blessing through Jacob. We'll begin by looking at God's blessing to Jacob. So if you have your Bibles open, look with me at Genesis chapter 46, verses 1 through 4. It says this, So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Jacob, an old man now, has been invited by Pharaoh and his son Joseph to bring his family and dwell in the land of Egypt. Now, in today's transient and globalized society, this may sound like a simple task. Many of us in this room live in Malaysia as foreigners or have lived elsewhere as students. Yet, if you've been following with us in our series through Genesis, you'll recognize the magnitude of this decision. Going down into Egypt has never been a positive experience for Jacob's forefathers. 
In Genesis 12, 10 through 13, Abram, Jacob's grandfather, went down into Egypt because there was a famine in the land of Canaan. When Abram was about to enter Egypt, he became fearful that the Egyptians would kill him in order to take his wife Sarai. So his plan was to enter Egypt and convince Sarai to tell the Egyptians that she was his sister rather than his wife. So that's what they did. They enter Egypt, and Sarai tells the Egyptians that uh, she is Abram's sister, and so Pharaoh takes her into his own house. But of course, the the Lord hated this action and punished Pharaoh and his household with plagues. Pharaoh, who was desperate to escape God's judgment, confronted Abram and his lie and sent he and Sarai away from Egypt. Later, in Genesis 15, 13, God prophesied to Abram that his family would be enslaved in a foreign land for 400 years. One generation later, there was another famine in the land of Canaan. And rather than going down into Egypt for food, God says this to Isaac in Genesis 26. Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. These three instances would have been on the forefront of Jacob's mind any time he heard the name Egypt uttered. Egypt was a place marked with deception, infidelity, and forbiddenness. It was a place that risked centuries of enslavement for his family and his descendants. Thus, the thought of relocating the entire family to Egypt would have caused significant hesitation and confusion and fear. God knew the trepidation of this journey for Jacob and his family. In fact, he addresses Jacob's fear head on by commanding him to not be afraid. But what is to be the source of Jacob's fearlessness? Look back at verses 3 and 4 with me and notice God's blessing towards Jacob. God says this, I am God, the God of your father. I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. Notice that God does not root Jacob's confidence in any of Jacob's own abilities or strengths. Rather, he commands Jacob to not be afraid because he is God, because he is provider, because he is present, and because he is faithful. In other words, Jacob does not need to be afraid to go down to Egypt because he is blessed by God. Notice also the two names used in this passage to refer to Jacob. In verses 1 and 2, the author identifies Jacob as Israel. Later in verse 2, however, God calls to him, Jacob, Jacob. This may seem like a subtle nuance to us, but it certainly would not have been insignificant to the original audience. Throughout Genesis, we see the name Israel refer to Jacob's family in nationalistic terms, often describing the entirety of his family. In this case, the author is describing the movement of Jacob's family, Israel, from Canaan to Beersheba. However, when we see the name Jacob used in Genesis, it often contains more covenantal and relational implications. God is appearing to Jacob as the one who has established his covenant with him and the one who has promised never to leave him. This idea of blessing carries 
a number of different meanings in our culture today. Many use the term blessed to describe someone who is successful or rich or healthy. Now, of course, these things are not inherently wrong, but and they can be blessings from God. But the biblical concept of blessing involves something much more, something much greater than just this. One commentator beautifully defines blessing in this way. Blessing is the bestowing of privilege, right, responsibility, or favor upon some portion of the creation by God or by one whom he has blessed. In relation to humanity, to be blessed is to be one of God's own people with all the benefits that brings. In other words, the blessing of God is his relational presence in one's life. So, to be blessed by God is to be in relationship with Him. Paul tells us the same in Ephesians 1, 3-6. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. To be blessed is to be in Christ. To be blessed is to be chosen by God before the foundation of the world. To be blessed is to be adopted into the family of God forever. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to walk in obedience to God's commands, we need to first bask in the abundance of God's blessing. If you are in Christ and struggling with obedience, be reminded afresh today of God's delight in you as his child. His blessing is bestowed upon you according to his abundant grace and great love, not according to your obedience. Meditate on God's provision his presence, and his faithfulness to you in Christ, and let this be the fuel for faithful living. It is God's blessing to Jacob, his promise of multiplication, of presence, and of return that will embolden Israel's move to Egypt. Let's look at the next section, Jacob's obedience to God. So if you'll look back at your Bibles and continue reading with me in Genesis 46, verse 5, it says this, then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives, in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. In these verses, we see Jacob's complete and wholehearted obedience to God's call. The text tells us that Jacob's sons, his son's wives, his daughters, and his grandchildren all traveled with him into Egypt. And in case, there leaves it, he, and, and in case there's any room for doubt, Moses tells us that he took all of his offspring with him. In fact, Genesis 46, 8 through 25 that we just read is dedicated to listing the names of the family members who traveled into Egypt with Jacob. More than that, they took their livestock and goods from Canaan with them. 
In other words, Jacob and his family left Canaan for Egypt with no backup plan. They trusted in God's sovereign and good direction. Those of us who have lived internationally for any period of time know exactly what this is like. If you left Malaysia to study abroad for a season, you likely did not bring your entire family with you or your most valuable possessions. You did not need to bring everything with you since you would return after your studies were over. Others of you, however, and the Esri's and Abner's come to mind, have lived internationally for more than a decade. And when they originally came, they did not leave any of their children behind in America with, from them. And they packed their, boxes, their uh, possessions in boxes and shipped it over because they planned to stay here. And I don't know this for certain, but I would imagine that they have little to no material possessions waiting on them in America. <laughs> it's the same for Jacob here. Remember, Egypt was a foreign land filled with negative memories. Perhaps some might have said it would have been wise for Jacob to leave some of his descendants and some of his possessions in Canaan just in case things went bad in Egypt. But this type of half-hearted self-reliance would not have honored Yahweh. Jacob's radical faith is seen in his willingness to completely forsake his homeland in obedience to God's call. Jesus shows us this in Matthew chapter 8. In this chapter, a man expresses his desire to follow Jesus, but wants to go and bury his father first. Jesus' response to him is striking. He says this, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. In other words, the call to follow Jesus takes precedence over all other priorities and allegiances. Anything that hinders or delays complete obedience to Jesus' command must be set aside. He deserves our complete trust and urgent obedience. It's important for us as God's people to see what wholehearted, complete obedience look like, looks like because it is, obedience, it is in obedience that God uses us as agents of his blessing in the world. As we move forward in the narrative to see God's blessing extended through Jacob, it is important to recognize that God's blessing was not earned by Jacob's obedience. Rather, Jacob's obedience was emboldened by God's blessing. Let's move on to the third section. God's blessing through Jacob. Again, in the previous two, we've seen God's blessing towards Jacob fueled his complete wholehearted obedience to move his family to Egypt. Now I want us to see in Jacob's obedience, God uses him as an agent of blessing to the foreigner, to his family, and to future generations. Now I want to be careful here and say that I'm not saying that God blessed Pharaoh, Israel, and Joseph, Joseph's sons because of Jacob's obedience, as if the extension of God's blessing in the world is dependent upon human action or as if God could not accomplish his purposes without Jacob. Throughout Genesis, we've already seen that God continues to offer his blessing to people despite their immorality and deception and pride. However, I do think there's a relationship here between man's obedience and being used by God to bless others. One writer summarizes the concept this way. God's blessing is always effectual, but it often awaits human obedience to become active. 
Any magic in Genesis is the effective power of God. Humans are effective agents of blessing or cursing only when they align with the will of God. So it is in Jacob's aligning with God's will to go down into Egypt that God uses him to bless the foreigner and his family in the future. Look back at your Bibles beginning in Genesis 46, 29. We see Jacob reuniting with his son Joseph in an emotion-filled reunion. Verse 29 tells us, He, Joseph, presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Soon after reuniting with his father, Joseph insists that he introduce his family to Pharaoh in order that they might find a place to settle. Joseph's brothers introduce themselves as shepherds and explain that they have come to Egypt to find a pasture to feed their flocks since there was a famine in the land. Then they asked Pharaoh for permission to settle in the land of Goshen. Pharaoh responds favorably to Joseph's brother's request and invites them to remain in the land of Goshen. In fact, he even gives them responsibility over his own livestock. After that, Joseph brought Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. Look back at the text beginning in verse 7 of chapter 47. It says this, Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my father in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land and the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. There's a lot to consider in this interaction between Jacob and Pharaoh. But the thing I want us to focus on, and I believe the author wants us to focus on, is Jacob's blessing to Pharaoh. The author mentions it twice just to be sure that we don't miss it. In verse 7, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And again in verse 10, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. The reason we need to focus on this is because Jacob is making a massive political and positional statement here. We've seen the theme of blessing throughout the book of Genesis. God, the Creator, blesses Adam and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. In other instances, we see recipients of God's blessing extending it to their children. In every instance of blessing, though, the one who is greater blesses the one who is lesser. So put yourself in the palace with Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler in the ancient Near East. He owns land servants, and all of the world's grain supply. Then there's Jacob, a Hebrew shepherd. Both Hebrews and shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians. So the fact that Jacob was a Hebrew shepherd would have been a double whammy and stirred up a special kind of hatred among the Egyptians. It is in this context that Jacob extends God's blessing to Pharaoh. 
Having first received God's blessing in Canaan, he now acts as an agent of God's blessing to the foreigner. In other words, Jacob is declaring that he has something greater than land, servants, and riches that Pharaoh possesses. He has the presence and provision of the one true God. Gospel City Church, do we have the same confidence to extend the blessing of God to those outside of the faith family? Do we believe that we possess a treasure in Christ that is far greater than anything the world could ever offer us? Are we eager to extend this blessing to others even if they may not expect it? Are we bold enough to tell others that we possess the solution to their greatest need? The next portion of the chapter details Joseph's administration of grain in Egypt as the famine worsens. And many scholars dispute whether Egypt's salvation is a sign of God's blessing or if it is a sign or if their slavery is a sign of the curse. We cannot know for certain whether Egypt's salvation from the famine is a direct result of Jacob's blessing or if it is a fulfillment yet to be seen. However, we do know that Pharaoh, a foreigner to the blessing of God, received some sense of it through Jacob's agency. God used Jacob to bless the foreigner. The narrator then provides an update on Jacob's family in the land of Goshen. Genesis 47:27 says this. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. The success of Israel stands in stark contrast to the desperation of Egypt. Israel, blessed by God, is beginning to experience the fruitfulness promised to them two generations prior. In Genesis 12:2, God said this to Abraham, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. The people of Israel entered Egypt as a family, and in Egypt developed into a nation. It was clearly God's plan to begin multiplying Israel while in Egypt. What if Jacob would have decided not to go down? Immediately after Jacob is getting old and his health is declining, and the narrator takes us to a scene seemingly on Jacob's deathbed. Look back at your Bibles in Genesis 47:29. It says this, And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. It is clear in this scene that Jacob takes the place of his burial very seriously. This encounter resembles the story of Abraham just before his death when he makes his servant swear to him that he will not take a wife for his son Isaac from the Canaanites. Instead, he promises to take a wife for Isaac from his own family, the family of promise. In a similar way, Jacob now makes Joseph put his hand under his thigh and swear to bury him in the land of his forefathers, in the land of Canaan. He forbids Joseph from burying him in the land of Egypt. But why? 
Consider for a moment the promise of God to Abraham and his descendants in Genesis 15, 18. It says this, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So we see that land was a central part of God's blessing to Abraham and his descendants. Therefore, Jacob's insistence upon being buried in the land of promise was a sign of his trust and God's faithfulness to return his people to the land. Despite the years of enslavement and wandering that lie ahead, the burial of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's bones in the promised land would have been a reminder of God's faithfulness to his word. Although many of us in this room do not have children yet, there's an important lesson to be learned here. The faith or lack of faith we display towards God's word in our daily lives will have an impact either positively or negatively on those around us. Those closest to us, oftentimes our families, will see whether or not we trust in God. In other words, God uses the faith of parents and other family members to testify to his faithfulness. And it is oftentimes in the consistent observation of faith that faith is passed down and born. God used Jacob to bless his family. In Genesis 48, the story shifts to Joseph's two sons who were born to him in Egypt, Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph found out that his father was ill, so he took the boys up to visit him. When Joseph and his sons arrived, Jacob mustered up enough strength to sit up in his bed and speak to Joseph. First, Jacob recites God's promises given to him in Canaan. It's a powerful recollection of the undeserved blessing that he received. Then he tells Joseph and his two sons, though born in a foreign land, would be elevated to the status of his own sons. They would receive the same status as Reuben and Simeon, and thus inherit God's promises given to Abraham. This is a significant statement. Jacob's sons were born in Egypt and therefore were not included in the blessing of God. Therefore, Jacob's elevation of the boys as sons meant much more than familial identity. It meant they too would inherit the promises of the promise of God's presence, God's provision, and God's faithfulness to them. Later, Jacob's statements come to fruition. Joseph presents the two boys, Jacob with Manasseh in the front, of Jacob's right hand and Ephraim in front of Jacob's left hand. Since Manasseh was the oldest, he had the first right to Jacob's blessing, which would have been bestowed by his right hand. The time came for the blessing to be given, and Jacob crossed his hands. He laid his right hand on Ephraim, the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh, the older. This instance follows an important theme throughout Genesis of the younger receiving priority of blessing over the older. And it is in this, we see this in the story of Ishmael and Isaac, and in the story of Jacob and Esau. It is in this pattern that we notice an unmistakable characteristic of the nature of God's blessing. That is, that God's blessing is not given to those based on their status or right. Rather, God's blessing is bestowed upon man simply by his grace. We see that God used Jacob 
to bless the future. Brothers and sisters, being an agent of God's blessing in the world does not come naturally to us. If you're like me, you often forget the blessings we have been given in Christ. We take God's word and his spirit for granted and lean on our own thoughts and understandings. We're often more preoccupied with our own rights, desires, and preferences than those around us. We often disobey God's commands for temporary pleasures and forfeit the opportunity to be agents of God's eternal blessing. If that's you this morning, there is really good news. 2,000 years ago, another man heard the voice of God telling him to flee to Egypt with his family. In this man's obedience, Jacob, the son of God, was spared from Herod's destruction. Jesus, was, Jesus put on human flesh and walked the earth, yet was without sin. Despite his sinlessness, it was the Father's will that he die on a criminal's cross. Just before being arrested, beaten, and crucified, Jesus prayed these words to the Father. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus submitted himself to death on the cross. In Christ's obedience, those under the curse of sin can now receive the blessing of God. And it is in Jesus' obedience to the Father that the greatest blessing on earth has been extended. Through faith in Christ, all people can be freed from the curse of sin through repentance and faith in him. Because Jesus descended into darkness, we can be reconciled to God and brought into his family. Because Jesus was cursed, we can be blessed. If you're a, not a believer this morning and outside of the blessing of God's uh, church, I just want to extend a personal invitation to uh, meditate on the truths of God's word. Uh, meditate on the free gift of God's blessing that we've seen towards Jacob and the free gift that we've all received in Christ. I pray that in seeing the freeness of God's blessing, uh, you will turn to him in obedience and faith. We close the pen in prayer. Father in heaven, we uh, praise you for your blessing. We praise you and thank you for Christ who bore the curse of our sin so that we can receive uh, the blessing of your presence through the Holy Spirit now and in fullness after death. Pray that you would use us in our families and in our city and around the world even to bless others. May we never forget that the blessing comes first from you. Pray that we would be a people that Bask in your blessing and let that fuel our obedience. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.